CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash. It's Monday. Happy Monday. I'm Zach Seward. We got Will Foxley. We got Wendy O. We got Jensen Assey. We have large arm and hand movements today. That's what's up. Let's do this thing. I'm going to talk to Wendy. She's got the first story of the day. This is the most exciting story because we're currently in a crypto bear market. Crypto is going to zero. Same with Bitcoin. That's not financial advice. That's a joke for the trolls. But when I first saw this come out, I thought it was fiend tech. And I'm starting to kind of get that vibe on crypto Twitter from some folks because a lot of people are talking about privacy. But we'll get into that. So friend tech becomes massive ether money machine as NBA players, FaZe Clan join in. And then Frentech also gains 100,000 users in days, even in depths of a bear market. So if you guys don't know, um, Frentech is a social tokenization protocol. It's built on base, which is Coinbase's open source blockchain. There's no token affiliated with that. So if you see another base coin floating around, it's not affiliated with base or Coinbase. So please be careful, do your due diligence. And it's from invite only. So if you don't have a friend code, you can't join. So It's kind of like high school. If you weren't cool enough to get invited to a party and you showed up, sometimes they would beat you up. I don't know if that happened to you guys. But basically, it tokenizes Twitter slash X accounts because we rebranded to X. And everything is on chain. Everything is on chain. And it made more revenue than Bitcoin, Tron, and Uniswap in the past 24 hours, which makes sense because, again, this is a bear market and everybody's broke. But anyways, I haven't tested it out. One of the things I did do is I went to the official Twitter page because that's always where you should start if you can verify that's the real account, okay? Um, I clicked on the link and it wanted me to download the mobile app. I don't like to do crypto-related things on my daily cell phone. I like to use a burner. So that kind of protruded me a little bit. I wasn't really like, eh, because I feel like it's a lot easier to get hacked and whatnot. So who wants to take this? I got you. Okay, let's go. I downloaded it. And I was with you, Wendy. I actually don't like using my phone for crypto things. This one was a little different because you couldn't use it on your desktop. And so you had to use it on your phone. But then there wasn't like really an app for it. You had to go to like Safari or Chrome on your iPhone or on your Android, then download it, then add it to your home screen. And so you're basically going through like Safari or whatnot. So a little odd there. The thing that's interesting to me about this is basically like sort of like a light polling sample on how many people are still paying attention to crypto who like, willing to download stuff, play around with things. It seems that there's about 100,000 unique users right now of friend tech. 
And that means that there's probably 100,000 people who are interested and willing to play around with this. Maybe there's like a little higher end of people like yourself who quite haven't downloaded yet, but I'm sure will in the next few weeks if it continues to grow at the same pace. Now, that if is big, right? Because we've seen a lot of these projects take off for a few weeks and then die down and we forget about them forever. That's what happened with so many of these different social ideas. Thing now we're kind of hitting, though, is that peak interest with NBA players jumping into it, some esports guys jumping into it. Their interest, of course, is probably just be in the next thing. This is an interesting project. Trades digital shares of each other. There's an invite code aspect to it. So I think that's where we're getting some interest right now. I'm waiting for like a few bigger names to jump in, and then we'll see if there's some uh, staying power with friend. Yeah, but but the thing is, I know, Jen, you had your hand up, but I have to comment really quick. Two things. First and foremost, generally, we see crypto Twitter absolutely clown when the celebrities come in and they say that that's the top. So it's going to be interesting to see the type of feedback there. Also, too, we like to look at on-chain data and look at how many different wallets have been created for different types of protocols, etc., and with wallets, you, anybody could create a wallet. I, can, I have like 100 different MetaMask wallets to manage. Yes, I know I'm insane. But we can also maybe apply that there is maybe only 100,000 people left that are daily active users of crypto instead of using on-chain data. Just a thought. I may be stupid for saying that, but Jen? Yeah, you know, Will, you said that we've seen these like crypto applications come, come up with a bunch of users, hundreds of thousands, and then we never hear about them again. We've seen the same with social platforms, right? Threads came out. So many people rushed to sign up and then no one really stuck around. No one really used it. And we've asked so many times on the show before, like, what does the future of social media look like? And what is Web3's part in building the future of social media? And I think that this is quite interesting, whether it sticks around or not. It kind of leverages that idea that like people want to be in these intimate circles where they feel like they have community, where they feel like they're in groups and they have access to influencers and celebrities, even if they don't actually. And I think we've seen this kind of play out in like Facebook groups is super popular for Facebook. You know, when Taylor Swift had um, those like listening parties, I believe in her homes where fans were invited to come out and like hang out with her and, and be in these intimate circles. I think that's like the really interesting part here. And it doesn't use an NFT or like all of this other complicated language. And you're able to kind of leverage the audience you already have on Twitter and go to this familiar social place. So I think the concept is quite interesting, whether it sticks around, that is TBD. Zach? Wasn't this the one that like everyone got excited about because there was the prospect of some future airdrop? Is that the one? Is this, are we talking about the same yeah. one? There was like, okay, cool. So I guess that's my question. Why do we think people are doing this? Do we think they're doing this because it's a cool thing? Or do we think they're just out there digital prospecting? putting a stake in the ground should the airdrop land it's, eventually, it's a, right? Yeah, I didn't it's actually about, know about the airdrop, and I think it is that now that I know. No, so, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, there is an airdrop I, feature, and it's like one of the widgets on the main tabs is an airdrop feature, but it's unclear what that airdrop means as of now because they haven't done one yet. You get, like, some sort of loyalty points the more you trade people's shares the more you use application. But I think that's also, like, a big draw is the fact, like, I can be in a group chat with people. I can be in a group chat with Kobe. I can be in a group chat with whoever is, like, the talk of the town on Twitter on this application if I buy their shares. I think that's what's drawing people in. I think the airdrop will, especially if there is, like, some monetary value at the beginning of it. But right now, I think there's a little bit of two things going on here. Wendy's so cynical it, about this, though. So is this, the, is this, like, the OnlyFans for boys? Yeah, possibly. possibly. It sounds like it. I mean, because regular OnlyFans is for boys also and girls. I think, you know, 
You yeah, shouldn't discriminate. All ads yeah, you know are for what? everyone. You know what? Crypto Twitter <laughs> seems to just slam women that have OnlyFans, though. So I'm just trying to it's I'm true. just trying to be relatable here. Okay, mm-hmm. one plus one equals um, seven. Sometimes it's true. Let's could talk about Vitalik. Vitalik has moved some Ethereum, about a $1 million worth of Ethereum to Coinbase. What does this mean? Well, might indicate that he's willing to sell a little bit. He moved about 600 ETH to Coinbase over the weekend. Vitalik's public addresses for his Ethereum holdings are out there. Most people know where they are, visible on most uh, Ether scans or like blockchain explorers out there. And for good reason, right? He's probably the most central figurehead in all of crypto because he's uh, the front man or the image of the Ethereum ecosystem, which is the largest smart contract ecosystem and the second largest coin by market cap behind Bitcoin. So when people see Vitalik or anyone else moving money uh, with that big of a name out there, they start paying attention. Of course, we don't know if he sold this Ethereum, and we also don't know the reasons behind it. Maybe he just wanted to get some little cushion for uh, his USD bank account. Who knows? Zach, I'll throw this one up to you. I don't t- look at this story and be like, oh, this is like a a big, ominous, bad, dark cloud story. I just think our boy is, you know, he's traveling all around the world. He needs some money. Hey, man, I'm with you. I think big picture, like this is the funny thing about crypto, right? You get to watch this stuff happen. You just get to see it. You're like, oh, we know that this is a wallet associated with Vitalik. And, you know, he's chose to keep that in the public domain, essentially. And now we can sort of see the the flows of money across uh, the world into these exchange addresses, right? So it is just kind of a funny feature of crypto. It never gets dull to me that we can have these conversations based on on-chain activity and on-chain activity alone. We don't know his intent. We don't know why. We don't know what's is, what is happening. We just know that we can watch this thing move from point A to point B and deduce maybe that there's something uh, animating that, right? And I think that's a really funny feature of crypto that we can talk about these things um, without any other knowledge aside from the fact that we just know one wallet interacted with another. And therefore, we know this one happens to be Vitalik and we can speculate on whatever the million dollars is going to be for. If it's for, you know, I don't know, getting more travel luggage so he can go to different places around the world. But yeah, I don't know. There's not much to say here. I don't know if this is going to like change people's price like projections for Ethereum, right? Or if it changed, I don't think this indicates that like Metallic is any less bullish on his creation, but it is just kind of a funny thing. Least blotter section of like Ethereum daily news that you can uh, I don't know, read with your morning coffee. Really quick before I hand it over to Wendy. The funny part about this is the Ethereum Foundation, which of course is a steward of a lot that happens at Ethereum, does sell the top almost every single cycle. They have like successfully sold the top on ETH and they put that money back into Treasury to support grants for the Ethereum ecosystem. So it ends up, I think, being a net positive. But a lot of people look at when the Ethereum Foundation sells and then sort of make a note about that. And this one, people obviously not at the top, we're down about you know 50 plus percent from the top in 2021. 2022. But people might be looking at this and be like, oh, maybe we're looking at like another lower point in the future if Vitalik is selling. Wendy? It's a, it's one, literally $1 million. It's really not a lot of money, especially when you're looking at crypto whale wallets. Like there's so many people that are moving around a lot more capital that are loaning it out, doing things. I also want to reference a story from Coindesk back in May 17th of 2021. Vitalik burns $6 billion in ship tokens, says he doesn't want the power. So Vitalik has kind of been infamous of doing different things with his funds and wallets that have been tracked. So I don't think it's necessarily a big deal that he moved 1 million of ETH worth to Coinbase. I think if it was going to be a very, very large amount, it probably would be done OTC. Um, but maybe he just wanted the, maybe, hey, maybe he wanted to bridge the funds over to Bait or to um, Friend Tech. Who knows? No. Yeah, Wendy, this isn't the first time Vitalik has 
sold ether so i don't think this is gonna like do anything to the markets but i wanted to ask all of you a question based on what zach said what do we think if if vitalik does cash out a million dollars here what do we think he's gonna buy what luxury luggage does vitalik buy i love his luggage post that's one of the better blogs out there is how vitalik lives out of a 40 liter backpack and here's how he does it that one is a good piece of content it's a lot of 40 liter backpacks if we're talking a million dollars yeah i don't think it's that hungry (laughs) maybe he's hungry he gotta buy snacks let's talk about nft royalties so OpenSea, the one of the bigger uh, nft marketplaces out there in the world of web3 announced that there were sunsetting royalties uh paid to creators for their nft creations when they sell on secondary markets now this has been sort of an evolving story around norms involving royalties a lot of other marketplaces had done this previously undercutting OpenSea, eating significantly into OpenSea's once dominant market share now blur and others out there are eaten OpenSea's cake and now OpenSea is also capitulating on the royalty issue and that has people upset including investor mark cuban and others so let's talk about the whole royalty thing and the whole nature of this dynamic as markets evolve seek efficiencies and ultimately get rid of something that was an initial selling point and value proposition for why creators should launch NFTs in the first place. I'm very curious for people's thoughts on this. They obviously differ, but I'm going to put Jen on the spot for her initial thoughts. Yeah, I think, you know, when NFTs first made their big boom on the scene in 2021, one of the selling factors, like you alluded to there, Zach, was the fact that creators were finally going to be able to get paid for their art, right? We were eliminating middlemen, Royalties are now going to go to the creator and the creator would continue to make royalties on that art as it's sold again and again on secondary markets, eliminating the need for middlemen like galleries and Netflix. And now we're seeing that users maybe don't want to pay royalties as much as maybe some in the industry were vocalizing. And, and I think this is really interesting, right? We have like we have the writers and actors on strike right now because of streaming platforms like Netflix. And now we're saying, okay, we're getting rid of the middlemen. If you want to participate in this art, you can pay the royalty and people are opting out of that. And so I think there's this like broader discussion that has to be had here. What I think is also interesting about this story is that OpenSea is also sunsetting their operator filter, which was a filter that would prevent other marketplaces from selling NFTs if people opted out of these royalties. And so what this tells me is that OpenSea went and did some market research and found that people maybe don't want to pay royalties. They need to compete. There's a bunch of other NFT marketplaces that have come onto the scene that have made royalties optional. And so I think more names like Mark Cuban need to speak out because this is just like not a good sign for creators. People need to get paid. And the more names that come out and educate people on why this is important, on why if we get rid of the middlemen, you know, us who are consuming art need to take over these fees. I think that is good. Wendy, what do you think? Maybe their target audience that they did the survey to is the same audience that was okay with illegally pirating music off of the internet so that the original creators wouldn't get compensated. The whole purpose of NFTs is so that real creators, that real artists, I'm not talking about people like myself. I'm talking about people that have put their blood, sweat, and tears. Well, I've done that too, but I'm not a musician. I'm not really a writer, any of those things, so that they have complete control and access to their creation, just like Bitcoin gives people complete control and access to their money. So I think it's very upsetting that they did this. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm happy that Mark Cuban did speak out. I spoke out about it too, because I mean, let's face it, when you see a platform 
offer free services, how are they making revenue? And in addition to that, what about the creators? Like the whole purpose that you make an NFT is for to to earn royalties and whatnot. So I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't think the NFT market is where we need to be right now. I feel like there's going to be a lot more utility coming in, but there's no value proposition for like musicians or for you know people in the entertainment industry to actually merge over and get rid of those third party predators when they when they would be treated the same using like OpenSea or or whatnot. I got a different opinion. I think this was like you going to happen do. no matter what this is going to happen. We saw a race to the bottom blur really changed the game and a few other NFT platforms launched. And the fact of the matter is that these royalties are not programmed into the smart contracts. You have to opt into it on the marketplace. And so once the marketplaces started to change, that meant these royalties were going to go away. Like if it was baked into the smart contract layer from the NFTs now was programmable. Sure. Like maybe that would be a better solution. But the fact is, like, you're relying on a middleman no matter what here. Like, that 2.5% royalty that we typically saw, that was baked in because people were nice about it. At some point, when there became too many marketplaces, that was definitely going to go away. So I think to think otherwise is a little naive. I also think that the people who made a lot of money on this were not creators. Like, Yuga Labs made about $2.2 million on their initial distribution of their NFT stack. Over the subsequent year, they made $147 million on the royalties alone. Okay, so like this was just someone who created something on Fiverr and then went around and then got 2.5% every time this was flipped. Very difficult to like argue that this was good for the ecosystem if every time someone was trading this, the money went right back into Yugo Lab's pockets. I mean, they made a lot of money on this whole thing. And this was like taking money away from people trading it, the buyers and sellers of the market who actually wanted to own or sell the artwork itself. I think there is an argument for royalties in NFTs and digital assets and for online art, but I don't think the way it's been done has actually been working. The money's been going to the wrong people, and that's just how it is. So this is just going to be a change in the NFT landscape. These marketplaces are going to keep whittling down and try competing against each other. And hopefully in the future, we see some other way on like the blockchain level, on the programmatic level, to have royalties baked into the artwork itself. Zach? Yeah, I think that, you know, that tees up the conversation perfectly, right? You have two competing camps who are incentivized very differently, right? You have traders and collectors who don't want to pay those fees. You have creators who very much are reliant on those fees. And there is a huge disalignment there. And various marketplaces exploited that disalignment to uh, achieve market share, right? And so I think we're seeing this kind of reach its inevitable conclusion where you're right, that social consensus, that social norm around enforcing this at the marketplace level is gone. It's like, it's just gone. So I think it is interesting to see what that next value proposition is in the next wave of creators in terms of NFT creation. Um, Because certainly, as Jen mentioned, it was a big selling point with the last uh, NFT mania. And now it just isn't part of the conversation. Going to be interesting to see how it affects next next NFT thing. All right, we're going to stay in NFTs, but we're going to change gears. I think, Jen, you uh, you have the next one. Yeah, so NFT platform Recur is shutting down despite raising a $50 million Series A and having big name partnerships. The NFT startup said on Friday that the platform is unable to weather the chills of crypto winter despite hosting IP of brands like Hello Kitty and Nickelodeon. Over the coming months, users can expect the platform to start losing its core features. So that's going to include um, losing the ability for users to withdraw their NFTs, cash out stablecoin balances, and trade collectibles on recur hosted marketplaces. Will, gonna toss this one off to you. When all of these marketplaces popped up, we asked on the show, how many marketplaces do we need? I think all of us predicted that some were gonna fall by the wayside. Nifty also wound down 
earlier this month. What do you make of the story? $50 million in a Series A and, and winding down operations this month. Yeah, it's really hard to do business in crypto. And we see the prices of these assets go up crazy percentages. Just cr- like you can't even put a range on some of these uh, percentage gains for assets. But then the drawdown typically is 90 plus percent. And then you add in there that you have to have some sort of reoccurring revenue for your business itself. You have to hire people who expect a paycheck twice a month. You have all these other business costs. And it really stacks up. Even if you raise $50 million, $100 million, we often see that these companies aren't able to survive because the business structure itself is dependent on this extremely volatile market. If you're not able to cross that T correctly, well, they're probably going to go under. So I, I don't think this is only like limited to the NFT scene. Like we're seeing a lot of companies just either like lay off employees or trim the budgets or like cut expenses or shut down entirely. It's not just limited to the NFT market. I think the NFT market might be like kind of like the, the one we look back on in two or three years and be like, dang, that was really hit hard. That was hit harder than all the other parts of that mm-hmm. wind down. And it's because it was like the new thing on the block this time, right? Like NFTs were like the speculative mania of this last cycle. And so they're going to be hit the hardest on the way down. But next cycle will probably be something else. And NFTs will again, boom, probably not as big. And they'll have a wind down that's not as hard as last time. We saw that in 2020 with DeFi. DeFi went up a lot. And then it came down a lot. And this cycle, DeFi went up a decent amount, but it didn't come down quite as hard as the last time. And this will be the same with some other future crypto products. Wendy? Um, I just think that this is kind of embarrassing. Like, how are you given $50 million and you can't figure it out? And then you also have all of these amazing connections to all of these big brands. It seems like some people got really, really big paychecks and things weren't budgeted or done properly. But again, we see this happen a lot in crypto because entrepreneurism is hard. And even as much as I love entrepreneurism, I love um, non-corporate capitalism. It's a very, very, very hard thing. And a lot of people aren't able to be the technician and be the manager and do the finances and do the legal. They have to hire people for that. And if you're not well-versed and well-equipped, it's going to be pretty complicated. Myself as an entrepreneur, I still struggle sometimes because it's hard to wear all of these different hats. So I think it's sad. Um, but at the same time, I, I would need to know a lot more information because it just seems like a really, really mess, missed opportunity, especially if you have all those brand contacts. Yeah, I thought at first uh, the 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 picture on the decrypt story it's it's of uh, it's of what's his name Timmy Pickles Tommy, Tommy Pickles okay Tommy, Tommy Pickles from Rugrats yeah, there we go there you go <laughs> I thought that they were I thought the rug in Rugrats was suggestive there for oh, a minute that's but it mm. wasn't because Rugrats was actually part of the IP that was minted through the platform so that's what stood out to me that Rugrats connection but yeah, it is sad it is sad to see consolidation play out and it just goes to show that a lot of big bets in crypto VC have not panned out very well for some of these big uh, crypto funds that because they're uh, not real VCs uh oh some of them uh oh fighting words some of them are some of them are tough mark all right well we'll wrap the show there tomorrow is talking tuesday so that's fun uh i'm zach we got jen we got wendy we got will we're the hash check us out on the podcast network if you haven't already and we'll talk to you soon see you tomorrow see ya you've been listening to the hash on the coindesk podcast network we would like to hear from you if you have any questions or comments please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com subject line the hash or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player Thanks for listening. Ah.
Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.